Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for the, the privilege of coming together as men and studying your word. Father, this morning, as we talk about this subject of our treasure, um, it's, a, it's a touchy topic, Father, because um, we live in a world where we're under constant pressure uh, to enjoy and use the things of this world. And, Father, I don't want this to come across to any man as condemning. I don't want this to be uh, an attack on um, wealth or having things, Father. I, I just want us to understand what's truly eternal. And, Father, help us to listen to what you're saying to us, not the guy next to us. What are you saying to us this morning? And, Father, may we walk out of here with a different perspective than we've ever had a clearer vision of how you want us to live our lives on this earth as, as men of God. Father, we lift up uh, Casey, we lift up Dwayne and Patty and their entire family as they continue to struggle through uh, the grief of the loss of a friend and as they go through the recuperation. Father, we pray for the other boys who are involved. We pray for the families who lost their sons. Father, May you be glorified in this, Father. We don't understand it. We can't explain it. But we do know and we confess and acknowledge that you are in complete control. And you have a reason behind everything. And you use everything for our good and your glory. May we be able to see that in the weeks and the months ahead as you work in that situation. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Barry and the work he puts into cooking the breakfast and we give you this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the last couple of sessions we've been talking about love. We've talked about um, love one another. That was three weeks ago. Then we took a short break. We came back and we talked about love your enemy and uh, just how difficult that is to love your enemy. And somebody came up to me last week and made the comment that um, sometimes we have enemies not just because... They're lost and we're saved and they're of the world and we're not, but because we made them our enemy. And we didn't really talk about that, but there is, in a lot of cases, situations where we have enemies that we have made because of the way we live our lives, because of things that we've done, things that we've said, the way we've acted. But you know what? The same thing applies. We need to love them. But first we have to heal the relationship. We have to ask for their forgiveness. You know, the Lord says, don't even come and pray. Don't come to my altar and pray until you go get your act together with your brother. Go heal it with your brother. Uh, and so if you've made an enemy of somebody, which I'm sure all of us have, if you have something out there that you know is causing a barrier you need to heal that. You need to go back and fix that. Make restitution, whatever that may look like, to get that fixed. So I just wanted to bring that up. That was a good point that somebody brought up to me. Well, this, this morning what I want to talk about is kind of a different kind of love. You know, love one another, love your enemy, love those who persecute you. But this morning we're going to talk about another command of Christ, and it's a, kind of a different kind of love. And it has to do with this passage in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not accumulate for yourselves, Jesus says. Remember, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Don't accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's, what's Jesus saying? What's he saying to us? What does he want us to get out of this? Is it wrong to have things? Is it wrong to live in a nice home, drive a nice car? Is it wrong to make a certain amount of money? Are we to be monastic and go live in a commune somewhere? Are we to give up everything we have? What is he saying? What's the point? Uh, I was talking to Doug Cecil. Uh, we're reading a book right now, and it's a, it's a great book uh, in our small group. It's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. But one of the problems I have with it is sometimes the passage that, passages that he uses, I don't agree with the application and the point. And he uses this passage quite a bit. And I don't always agree with where he goes with it, but the idea of laying up treasure for yourself in heaven, we need to figure out what that means and why we shouldn't accumulate. What does that mean? Don't accumulate for yourselves treasures here on earth. Again, are we supposed to live in poverty? Are we supposed to sell everything we have and just give it away and just live off the lay of the land? What is he trying to say? He says, don't accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth. That word accumulate is real important. It means to gather, to lay up, to heap up, to store up. It's kind of the parable. Remember the guy that had, had really abundance and he built barns and then he tore those down. He built bigger barns and then he finally got to the point where he said, man, now I can just relax and enjoy life. And God said, you fool. You're, you won't even make it through the night. You know, He had accumulated. He had stored up. He had set himself for the future and he didn't know the future. So it's important to understand what accumulate means. It means to accumulate riches. Just keep, you're never satisfied. It's just never enough. When's enough enough? To keep in store, to store up, to have in reserve. Again, this is not an indictment. If you have a savings plan, don't, don't go cash it in and give it away. This is not what this is about. But you, I think you begin to see there's an attitude here. Don't accumulate. Don't store up. For the future, as if this is all there is. This is it. So don't accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth. But then the second part, he says, but accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven. Same word, accumulate. Store up. Put aside. Just keep adding to it. But different, different perspective. What are these treasures? Well, it's a, it's a place a place in which good and precious things are stored, set aside, collected, laid up. It's a place. Where is that place? Well, he tells us it's heaven. Store up treasures. It's a treasury. It's a place. A storehouse. It's like a bank is a repository of funds. Well, that's what we're, we're, to, we're to put aside things in a certain place and store it up there. And it's in heaven. It's future. We'll, we'll expand that in a second. This word also means things laid up in a treasury, collected treasures. What's valuable? You know, if you, if you have valuables, which I don't really have any. We have, we have a little, uh, it's not even a safe, but it's a little lockbox, you know, for, for all our valuables. I think it's about this big, you know. We don't have a lot, and so we don't, I don't have a safety deposit box. I don't know what I'd put in it, except our will. Um, but where, if you have anything of value, where do you put it? You, you put it aside. You, you put it in a place where it's protected, where it's going to be kept safe. 
So don't accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth, but accumulate treasures in heaven. Now, this goes against everything you and I are taught. Because what are we taught? Get as much as you can while you can. And accumulate as much as you can. Right, right here on earth. And again, this is not saying don't, don't have things, don't have a savings account, don't work hard, don't make a good living. But I think as Christians, we always have to step back and say, how are we to be different from everybody else? How are we to have a different perspective? There's two temptations as we look at Matthew chapter 6. And again, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is, is teaching. And you've noticed that a lot of the commands we've looked at have come from this passage. So there's two things that we want to look at this morning. The real main point I want us to get, and it seems to be throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is his emphasis on the Father, our relationship to God as our Heavenly Father. Now, some of you probably, and I'm just assuming, there's probably guys in this room who had a lousy relationship with their dad and still do. And, and that's warped your view of God as your Father. And you kind of see God as potentially like him. Well, if he's like him, uh, I'm not interested. But we have to understand as Christians, what, what's our relationship? God is our father. Uh, there's a loving relationship there. As a matter of fact, the word father is used 11 times by Jesus in chapter 6 alone. He keeps talking about the father. He keeps talking about the father. And I think a lot of it is the Israelites, the Jews of his day viewed God, I think, less as a father than as this unapproachable being that they were afraid of. They had to go through the priest. Even if you remember the stories in the Old Testament, you know, they, were, they, they would come to Moses and say, ask your God. You know, they were afraid to approach God. They were, they were afraid of God. They had heard the stories about God, about God's anger, God's wrath. But I don't think they viewed God much as a father. And so what does Jesus say? He keeps talking about your father. And the idea is that you and I as Christians, we've been bought with a price. We've been bought out of sin and slavery with a price. The price was Jesus' blood sent by God the Father. Why? So that you and I can be called children of God. It, it, not just to take us to heaven. That's a wonderful thing. I'm glad I'm going there. But I am a child of God now. And this is critical to understanding what he's saying in this passage. Look at Romans 8. Paul says this. You didn't receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bear, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children of God then we're his heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. I am, you are, if you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you're an heir, a child of God, which makes you an heir of God, which means what? Everything he has is yours. His inheritance is going to be passed on to and has been passed on to you. But do we get it all here? No, there's there's a future aspect of this. There's there's a future that we need to be looking forward to. But the problem we have is we live here now, don't we? And we're under the pressures of here and now paying the bills, getting ahead, keeping clothes on our kids, putting them in school. There's so many things pressing on you and I to live in the here and now. But we have to keep in mind that 
I am, you are a child of God with all that that means. And that makes me an heir. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The great secret of life, according to Jesus, is to see ourselves and to conceive of ourselves always as children of our Heavenly Father. The great secret of life is to see yourself as a child of God, a, a child of the Heavenly Father. And if, if he's my father and he loves me, have you, have you ever doubted God? Anybody ever doubted God? Is it just me? You know, things aren't going well and, you know, how's this ever going to work out? And God, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And, I, and I, without saying it out loud, I'm inferring that you're not a very good God. You're not a very good father. You don't really know how to take care of me. Can I tell you how I need to be taken care of, God? And I give him my list, my terms, my time, my way, my checking account, certain level. I, I tell him what I need, how I need it, when I want it. And what I'm saying is I really don't trust you as my Heavenly Father. And so I really agree with this. The great secret of life, according to the Lord, is that we need to come to grips with and see ourselves as children of the Heavenly Father. And he cares for me. And if he is God and he is my heavenly father and he loves me as much as he says he does, do I need to worry so much about everything? And I'll be the first to confess, guys, I worry a lot about a lot of things. And every, it just seems like every month God has to confirm for me, you're wasting your energy and your time. You do not need to worry. I will take care of you. I will take care of you. But it's so easy to do. And to forget that I'm a child of God. Well, there's two temptations that I want to look at this morning that really do attempt to destroy that relationship. You know, um, in uh, Doug's sermon on Sunday, he, he talked about Satan. And that Satan is out to thwart the plan of God. And I totally agree with that. But I think he's also out to thwart your relationship with the Heavenly Father. He so wants you not to see God as your Heavenly Father. He would love for you to see God as the evil ogre in the sky. That oppressive, demanding being that doesn't love you, doesn't really care for you, but just has all kinds of rules for you to live by. He wants to get rid of and destroy your relationship with God as your Father. And here's a couple of things I think he does. Temptation number one, seeking our rewards here. Seeking our rewards here. Look over in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. Starting in verse 1. This one's real critical to me. and it, 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 it's, a, it's to set up the, the real lesson for this morning, which is on lay up treasures in heaven. But we have to look at this one first. This is the first thing I think Satan really tries to do is get you to seek all of your rewards here. Isn't that what he did to Satan in the wilderness? Hey, glorify yourself now. Don't wait. Do it now. Uh, feed yourself now. Don't let God feed you. Do things on your terms, your way, right now. Look at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Why? To be noticed by them. To get your reward now. Uh, 
to, to do things in a way, not to get recognition from God or to please God, your Heavenly Father, but to get recognized by men and get a pat on the back. Hey, what a guy. What, man, that guy's incredible. You, you want to do that? Go right ahead. What he goes on and tells you is says, you'll get your reward in full. You'll just get it now. You want your reward now? You can have it. But God's got so much more. Satan wants you to get your reward here. He wants us to, to seek to get all our, our rewards in the here and now. Forget about heaven. If he can distract us from heaven, he is so pleased with that. And that's why for us as Christians, we can get so busy in the here and now that we've com- we completely forget about eternity. And we forget that there's a heaven and we forget that there's a heavenly father who really cares for us. We're so wrapped up in the here and now. How do we do this? Number one, the praise of men. Seeking the praise of men. Look at verse 2. When you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they will have the reward in full. So the praise of men. Wanting men to notice what you're doing. Timing everything to where someone will see it. You know, my wife is, is, a, is a giver. She's, a, she's got the gift of mercy. She's a, got a servant spirit. She's got all the gifts I don't have. And she loves to do things in secret. She, she, if she wants to give to somebody, she doesn't want anybody to know. If she's going to serve somebody, she, she loves to go over and, like, clean somebody's house when they're not home. You know, just... And there's a part of me that struggles with that. Why, why do you think I'd struggle with that? How are they going to know you did it? How, how are they going to thank you? Don't you think they'd want to thank you? And she's like, I don't want them to thank me. I just want them to enjoy a clean house. I want them to, I don't want the recognition. And there's a part of me that struggles with that. I'm like, sure you do. Yeah, yeah. I want you to get the recognition because you're my wife. Then I get the recognition. Come on. At least leave them a note. Look what I did for you sacrificially when I could have been serving my family. You know, that's what I would do. You will get the praise of men, but you'll get your reward now. You want that reward? Go for it. And I, I'm just telling you, I, I know I'm wired this way, and I know there's other guys wired this way, that we really do want the praise of men. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but if that's the only thing that drives us, there's something, there is something wrong with that. If that's the only thing that motivates you, drives you, keeps you going is the praise of men. Well, how about the recognition of men? He says in verse 5, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners so that they may be seen by men. Notice my men. Recognize my men. Wow. Look at that guy standing in the synagogue, you know, standing on the street corners, praying out loud, you know, noticed. Um, always wanting recognition from men, always wanting their praise, always wanting to be seen. Again, he says, you'll have your reward in full. You can have it, but you're going to have your reward in full. Well, he goes on a third thing, the admiration of men. Verse 16, whenever you fast... Don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Isn't it interesting that he's taken three really good things 
prayer, fasting, and giving. And he's shown how we do it for the wrong reasons. Um, maybe this is true confessions time for me, but I get the opportunity. But have you ever worked real hard and wanted somebody to know you've worked real hard? How do you do it? How do you let people know you've worked? Man, I've worked really hard. Well, the way I do it is if it's around the house, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of, man, you okay, Dad? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, check the yard out, yeah. Or somebody will say, hey, you know, how's, how's ministry going? How's life? Whew, wow, whoa, man. Man, it's a lot worse than I thought it would be. Man, I'm telling you, it's just... And you catch yourself in this, what are you doing when you do that? What, what am I doing when I do that? The admiration of men. You know, you, you're kind of, you're throwing out the lure, you know. Come on, bite, come on. Say something to me. Wow, you're doing a great job. Thanks, yeah. I, no, I don't need to hear that. You know, just come on, a little bit more. The praise of men, the recognition of men, the admiration of men. You want that? You can have it. But in every one of these cases, he says, you will have your reward in full. You can have your reward now, guys. I can have my reward now. How? By receiving the honor of men. There's nothing wrong with the honor of men. But it should not be what drives me. It should not be what motivates me. I can have my reward now by being viewed as religious by men. Man, what a, what a neat religious guy but they don't know the deep, dark secrets. They don't know what I'm really living like. They don't know what goes on in my home. But I can put up the front, and I can get the, the recognition and the praise and the admiration and get my reward now. I can get my reward now by attempting to impress men rather than God. You know, think about how few times we say, God, what do you think about what I just did? How, how, how did you like what I just did? No, I, I'd rather hear it from the lips of some guy, you know, that doesn't know me from Adam, doesn't really know what's in my heart, doesn't really know my motivation. I can manipulate him to say what I want to hear, but God knows the truth. What does he think? What's his reward for me? How about by doing good things but doing them for earthly gain, prayer, fasting, giving. You know, in all three of these cases, he says, you know, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Beware of doing these things for the wrong reasons to get earthly gain, recognition, you know, getting a plaque put up on a wall that, you know, you gave to this or you did this or, you know, you've been in churches before where the pews are paid for by somebody and they've got their name on it. You know, is that why we did it? Is that why we... You know, having a building named after us, is it for earthly gain or is it because I'm doing this for my Heavenly Father? Beware. Beware. Why? Because in verse 2, 5, and 16, they have their reward in full. You get it now. You can have it now or you can have it later. Which do you want? Well, that's the first temptation. The second one is the main one for this, this morning. By seeking our treasures here. Seeking our treasures here. 
Look what he says in verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Don't do it. It's an imperative. It's a command. Don't store up. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Here's what we do. You and I seek to find security and satisfaction in temporary things. Why do we buy the things we buy? Well, yeah, they're attractive, but we also think they're going to fulfill a need in our lives. They're going to make us feel a certain way. I've told you this before, and it's a sad reality of life, but close to 30 years in the advertising business, and the sad thing about advertising is my job was to get you to buy things you don't need with money you don't have and get you dissatisfied with what you do have. You don't really want the car you're driving. Sure, it's paid for. Sure, it, it runs great, but gosh, you'll be so much more of a man if you drive this car. You don't want to live in that house. You want to live in this house. Dissatisfaction, unhappy with what you have, trying to find security and satisfaction. If you go look at every, look at virtually every ad you see in magazines, TV, the radio, and you will see some appeal to your security or your satisfaction. You're not satisfied. Don't you want to be satisfied? Well, sure. You've got bad breath. Don't you want good breath? I mean, that's a satisfaction thing. It's, it's all about security and satisfaction with things of this earth. And so we desire to praise the praise of men instead of God. We want satisfaction here, and we want the praise of men. We are obsessed with the praise of men. What do you think of me? You know, if you, if you have an, a boss, you want your boss to tell you you're doing a good job. And we prefer to have it in the form of cash. You know, I've had bosses before who were really great at handing out the compliments. They just didn't hand out much money. And I'm like, you know, hey, thanks for the job well done, but how about a little bit more money? But it, that's a form of praise in our society. They, we praise each other by extending more, giving more money, giving a new promotion. We value the possessions of earth over the inheritance of heaven. Think about that. What do, you, what do you dream of? What do you think of when you wake up in the morning and, you, you know, what's on your mind? Are you thinking about, man, what's God got in heaven for me? You know, man, I can't wait to get there. It's going to be great. No, I'm thinking about what am I going to get today? What, what's, what's in store for me today? What am I going to, how much am I going to sell today? How much are you going to make today? Maybe, maybe that new job will come in today. Maybe I'll get the, the raise I want today. Maybe valuing the possessions of this earth. You know, I worry a whole lot more about my stuff than I do about heaven. I worry a whole lot more about, you know, when my wife tells me that, you know, the, the car's making a funny noise. I get, I get mad. I get frustrated with her. I, you know, it's not like she did anything. It's just, why did you have to tell me that? My day was going great. Now you tell me the car's not running well. I, I, I value those possessions. If, if my 16-year-old daughter who's learning to drive walks in the door and says, Dad, I, you know, I, you know, I was backing the car out and I, I, just, I was distracted. And, uh, I know what's going to go through my heart. Now, hopefully what comes out my lips is, are you okay? But man, what's spinning through my brain synapses is, God, why did we ever let you get a license? That's my car. That's paid for. And you don't give anything to it. Possessions of earth. 
worrying about the stuff around us. You know, there's nothing wrong with stuff. I can't say that enough. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having a nice home. But sometimes that stuff owns us. And we're obsessed with it. And it's all we can think about. It's like having a a lake house that you built the lake house so you could enjoy it and relax. And you spend nine months out of the year worrying about whether somebody's broken into it. Or worrying about that, gosh, I never have time to go to my lake house. God, we need to get to the lake house. And so you got knots in your stomach so that you can figure out when you can get away to go relax at the lake house. But you're stressed out because you can't get to the lake house. And then you get to the lake house and you spend three days out of the five days you're going to be there cleaning the lake house because it's dirty and it's full of dust. And again, nothing wrong with having a lake house, guys. If you have one, invite me. <laughs> the point is, it just this stuff can own us and we have to constantly watch out for what do we think about. This is an issue of the heart. At the bottom of the, the page... The end of the day, it's an issue of your heart and my heart. What does it say in verse 21 of this passage? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is. What do you think about? What do you dream about? What do you worry about? What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? That's where your treasure is. That's what you're obsessed with. Again, nothing, nothing wrong with having stuff. But where's your heart? Where's your heart? Let me ask you some questions here. You don't have to answer them. Are you more earthly minded or spiritually minded? Heavenly minded. What do you think about more? Heaven or here? Okay. Are you investing in eternal things? Are you investing in the here and now? Nothing wrong with that. But are you investing in eternal things? Things that will last. What, what, what will last? What's the only thing we have here that's eternal? What? The Word of God. God, But what else? People. People are the only thing that are going to last for eternity. They're souls. So what are you investing in? Are you investing in the lives of people or are you investing only in things of this earth? Are you investing in the here and now? Where does most of your money go? Where, where do you spend your money? You know, it, you may feel like I spend it all on groceries and the mortgage, but where else does it go? Where does your money go? What kinds of things mean the most to you? In other words, when they're threatened, what do you worry about the most? If, if somebody came to you and said, I'm taking away your car, you know, or, or let's say somebody was trying to break into your house, would you protect your computer or your Bible? Just a question. Not that they would want your Bible, but uh, probably couldn't find it. But um, what? Oh, come on, come on. Yeah. What do you What do you think? Be quiet. I can have you physically removed. What do you think about most? What do you think about? What kind of things do you dwell on? All of these are just, you know, they're just indications of sometimes where our treasure is. What do you worry about most? What do you wake up in the morning, wake up in the middle of the night worrying about? Do you wake up worrying about your lost neighbor? I wonder how my kids are with Christ. I wonder what God has for me to do today. 
you're like me, I don't wake up typically worrying about that kind of stuff. I worry about how am I going to pay the mortgage, how am I going to put my kids through college, how am I going to get this, how am I going to do that, how am I going to get everything done today? What do you worry about? What do you think about? Well, treasures on earth, we're told in this passage they're temporary. They're susceptible to decay. This is, no, this is nothing new to any of you guys. You know this. The things of this earth fall apart. They're vulnerable to loss. So they're temporary, they decay, and you can lose them. It just happens. Um, this stuff takes place all the time. You know, we, we went to Arkansas with my in-laws, and that's a whole other story. Actually, there's a whole lot of stories I could tell you. But too many of you know my father-in-law, so I'm not going to. We go to Arkansas, and we're trying to get back on, on a Monday because uh, my mother-in-law has to be back for something. I can't remember what it was, but we were all scurrying to get back from Arkansas. We're driving like you know crazy, and we stop at a gas station, and, and she and her husband have this obsession with washing the windows on the car. I don't, I don't know what it is. It just it drives me absolutely nuts. So we get out of the car, and you know she's washing the windows. And like, I thought you had to get back. You know, we've already filled up the cars. She's washing the windows. Well, we go down the road, get in the car, go down the road. We stop to get something to eat, and she looks for her wallet. It's gone. Where'd you have it last? Well, I had it when I was washing the window. Not sure why she had it washing the window, but she left it on the hood of the car. So we all stop what we're doing. We run back, you know, several exits back, and, of course, it's not there. And that made for a really pleasant ride the rest of the way back. And so there was all the grief, cancel the credit cards, do this, do that, cancel this, cancel that. I don't even know what credit cards were in there. So, you know, she's canceling credit cards she doesn't even know she has. We get home, and the next day we're having lunch at their house, and she finds it. <laughs> you know, it just, the things of this earth are temporary. They decay. They suffer loss. They can be stolen. They can, you can leave them on the hood of your car or maybe not. But he talks about three things here, and I just want to touch on them real briefly. He says the moth. The moth. We know what moths are, but they're small. They're imperceptible. I don't really notice moths around my house very much, but I know they're there. And you can see the evidence of it when you get your winter's clothes out and there's holes in your, in your clothes, right? They're small. They're imperceptible. They devour expensive fabrics. They're not real picky, but they seem to like the better stuff. You know, they, they just seems like they, they eat the sweater that you really like the most, that you paid the most for, and they do it typically while you're asleep. You don't notice it. I read a story about a, um, a mansion uh, somewhere here in Texas. I mean, it's just a massive, you know, like 14,000 square foot, beautiful home that was, that was being torn down, brand new. They hadn't even moved into it because they had built it and used beams from an um, a old home from Florida that had been infested with termites, Formosa termites. So they built this thing, and of course, they just spread throughout the house in the process of building it, and it was unsafe. So before the people could even move in, they had to tear it down. Now that's a perfect picture of this. Unperceptible, beautiful home, millions of dollars, and it's trash. It's total trash. He talks about rust. I grew up in New York, and they salt the highways there during the winter, and you could not keep rust off your car. I don't care if you got a Mercedes. I don't care if you got a Buick. It's a reality. Rust. 
It's no respecter of person or property. It does its destruction unseen until it's too late. You don't notice it. It's on the undercarriage. And so it's just rusting away down there, and you're keeping it off the paint, but your underbody's rusting because you can't see it. And it turns what's valuable to junk, to junk. The springs rot away. The undercarriage rots away. You know, it's interesting. Both of these things, moth and rust, both reveal that we, have, we may have possessions that are either not being used. In other words, they're just sitting there. We don't really use them. Or they're not being properly taken care of. Things that rot, things that rust, things that just decay on us. Then he talks about thieves. They break in and steal. You know, the more you have, the more other people want it. You know, I don't have a, I don't live in a gated community because I don't think anybody really wants in my house. But the more you have, the more you have, the more you have to protect it and the more you fear of losing it. And thieves will do whatever it takes to get it. Whatever it takes. There aren't enough locks in the world that will keep them out if you have what they want. And the greater its value, the more intense the desire of the thief. So he says, moth, rust, thieves, they break in and steal. What do you deem as valuable? What's valuable to you? What you deem as valuable shows where your heart is, your possessions. Possessions aren't wrong, but if, if, if you grieve over them, if you worry about them, if you're always trying to protect them, then they probably have too big a hold in your life. How about power? I've got to have power. I've got to have control. I'm a control freak. I've got to be the one in, con- in control of all things. That's a value to you. Prominence. I want to be noticed. I want to be top dog. I want to be up there. I want people to look up to me. I don't want to look up to anybody. How about position? Your position is important. All of these things show where your, where your heart is, what's valuable to you, because you're obsessed with them. You think about them. You pursue them with a vengeance. But how about treasures in heaven? This is the real issue. They're eternal. They never lose their value, and they can't be lost or stolen. What a difference between the treasures that are temporary. They rot, they decay, you lose them, they get stolen, they, they just lose value. You buy a car, you drive it off the lot, and it's dropped $2,000, $4,000 in value the minute you drive it off the lot. How stupid is that? But that's the world in which we live. That's the world in which we live. Look at this First Peter passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is, into an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's reserved in heaven for you who by God's power are protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This brings you great joy, although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials. What brings us joy? Is it the stuff? You know, where do we seek comfort? Is it flipping on the tube? Is it, you know, buying one more thing? Or is it our inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? We're told to value our inheritance over earthly treasure. That's more important than this. See, this whole thing about stuff and money is a Western mindset. You go to most third world countries and it's, it's not about possessions because they don't have any. So their inheritance 
is real important to them. Heaven is real important to believers in third world countries. Why? Because they don't have a whole lot here to get too excited about. They, they don't want a, a nicer hut. You know, they don't want to eat better gruel. You know, they want to go to heaven because heaven is where their heart is. Heaven is where things improve. But see, in the Western mindset, we got it all. This is heaven on earth. Our inheritance is reserved for us in heaven. That word means it's guarded from loss or injury. It's maintained. It's preserved. I can't keep this stuff down here protected. You know, I, I, I try to take care of my cars, but inevitably they fall apart. They break down. I try to take care of my home. You know, my, my wife's out in the backyard weed-eating the other day, and, you know, I'm off doing something else, and she, she walks up, and I'm, I just can tell by the look in her face something happened. I was like, oh, great. What? And she goes, so I walk up, follow her up, and she, I look at the back door of our house, and it's just, you know, it's that safety glass, and she's and it's, and it's still doing it. So what would you do? She was, well, I was weed eating and I think a rock flew up and hit, hit the... You know, in heaven, that's not going to happen. You know, my wife, of course, I won't have a wife, but she's not going to walk up and go, check, check the mansion. I, I was weed eating and this stuff will never happen. It is preserved, maintained, protected... Everything is up there waiting for me, and I don't have to worry an iota about it. There's no moss because it's imperishable. No rust because it's undefiled. It's uncorruptible. It's totally pure. It's pristine, just like when it came off the lot. No thieves. It's unfading. Won't go away. Can't be taken away. It lasts forever. It's not temporal. It's eternal. So how do you and I store up treasure in heaven? I'm going to skip this discussion you can fight with me later, Ray. Um, Ray's the one that attacks me, but I'm, I'm running out of time as usual. We need to see things from God's perspective. You need to see, I need to see things from God's perspective. That's what verse 22 of Matthew 6 says. The eye is the lamp of the body, so that if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. You need to have a clear eye, clear vision, see things the way God sees them, see reality the way God sees reality. This stuff is not all there is. When you gather up riches on earth, it blurs your vision because this is all you see. Look at my stuff. You know, I'm the king of my domain. Look at all I have. But then as soon as you look over here, look at all he has. I want some of that. And suddenly our vision gets blurred and we really can't see. And we really can't see the truth because God's sitting there saying, hey, I want you to Go help that person. I want you to go do this. I have a job for you to do. I have a ministry I want you to do. But we're so busy. We can't see. We can't see reality. And it distorts our vision of God's will. What does God want you to do? I've told you this before and I'll say it again. God has a will for every man in this room. God has a purpose for every man in this room. And yes, it involves your family. It involves your work. It involves your career. But it also involves eternal things, the kingdom of God. Do you know what it is? Or are you so wrapped up in all of life and the things of this earth, but you can't see what God's will may be for you? What is he trying to do? Luke twelve fifteen. Not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Your life is not what you own or what you don't own. It has nothing to do with that. 
It's not your possessions. How about further on in that same passage? Familiar verse, but look at the context. Seek his kingdom. Seek God's kingdom, and these things will be added to you. All that stuff you worry about, all that stuff you got to have, what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is Jesus saying the same thing he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, is he telling me, you and I to go sell everything we have? No, what he's telling you is, if it takes it, do it. Would you be willing? Would you be willing? Or are you going to be like the rich young ruler when he says, hey, sell everything you have and come follow me? And he goes, sorry, God, standards are too high. And he walked away from what? Eternal life. He loved the things of this, this earth more than eternal life. You can only serve one master, he goes on in Matthew chapter 6, and it's God. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in popularity. You can't serve God in yourself. And you can't serve God in your own family. That one seems kind of tough, doesn't it? I can't worship my kids. I can't worship my wife. I can't worship anything but and serve anything but God. Because he's a jealous God. So who, who rules your life? Who or what rules your life? Is it earthly treasures or is it God? Anybody here ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? I hate Chuck E. Cheese. I hold in my hand the coin of the realm. It's a Chuck E. Cheese token. My son loves Chuck E. Cheese. And every time we have a soccer tournament, we always end up at Chuck E. Cheese. And I hate it. It is like hell on earth. If you've never been to a Chuck E. Cheese, it's, it's, it's games and noise and lights and lousy food and lots of kids, all crammed into one very small building. You go there, and when we walk in the door, my son is in heaven. He's 13 years old. He's in heaven. Why? Because it's all the games you can stand. It's, it's noise. It's light. It's action. It's, it's junk food. It's... He's just running around like he's just totally out of control. Every kid in there looks like they're ADD. And they're all running around with handfuls of these. And the more you have, the more popular you are, the more powerful you are. You know, I'll buy my son $20 worth of these stupid things, and he'll go, Dad, can I have more? It's like Vegas. You know, it's like, Dad, Dad. They're just putting them in machines, and they're, they, they finish that game, and you get, you get tickets. It's, it's so stupid. You're, you're, you're paying for these to put them in here to win tickets, to go buy something. Why don't you just go buy it with this? But no, that's not how it works. You win the tickets, and you see these kids walking around with armful of tickets. They're coming out of their pockets. They're in their hats. They're just, and it's an obsession. And I walk around that place, and I'm just like in a daze. I'm just like, oh, I just want out. I, just, I can't take much more. How is this fun? God, take me home. And I say all that to say, you know, when I'm in Chuck E. Cheese with my son, I don't think I play any games. I don't want any tokens. I don't want any tickets. So what do I do? I give them all to my son. Here's all my tokens. Really? You're going to give me all your tokens? You take all my tokens. I don't want them. I just want to go home. So go play. And he's just running around. These kids are running around. And you know, 
I could have 50,000 of these tokens in my hands, and they're just, I'm like this, take them. Here, I don't even know you. Take them. Take them. Please take them. Spend them as quick as you can. I just want to go home. This isn't important to me. And everything my son has ever won, which I paid for, at a Chuck E. Cheese no longer exists. It's the cheapest garbage I've ever seen in my life. Why do I say all this? We live in Chuck E. Cheese. This is Chuck E. Cheese, guys. We live in Chuck E. Cheese. The noise, the glitter, the glamour, the, the temptations, everything around you. And we, the coin of the realm is so important to us. But you know what? How are we supposed to live with open hands? You know, I don't need this stuff. I'm going home someday. I'm, go- I'm just here. I'm a temporary dweller in this land. I don't even really want to be here, but I'm going to make the best. I'm going to help those around me. I'm going to encourage those around me, but I don't need the coin of the realm. I'm not telling you to give everything away that you have. I certainly haven't done that. I haven't, fortunately, God hadn't asked me to. But I just need to live like this, open hand. God says, give it, give it. If God says, keep it, keep it. If God says, save it, save it. If God says, lose it, lose it. Whatever he tells me to do. But we live in Chuck E. Cheese. This is not where we're supposed to be. This is not all there is. It's all about true life, and I'll close with this. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Listen to this real carefully. Command those who are rich in this world's goods. And guys, don't exclude yourself. Because according to the world's standards, every guy in this room is rich. We're filthy rich compared to most people. We have so much of the world's goods. So those who are rich in this world's goods, don't be haughty. Don't be proud. Don't set your hope on riches which are uncertain, but on God who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Tell them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous givers, sharing with others. In this way they will save up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the future and so lay hold of what is truly life. True life. What's he telling us here? Set your mind on God, not riches. I know that sounds real ethereal and like, how do you do do that? Spend time in his word. Seek him. Search after him. More than you do for the things of this earth. Remember, it's he who provides what we really need. God knows what you need. He also knows what you want. But he doesn't always give you what you want, does he? He gives you what you need. He will be your provider. You are not your provider. Be rich in good deeds. Do good deeds to other people. Be like my wife. Just go serve and serve. And if nobody pats you on the back, who cares? Because God knows and He cares. He will reward you. Be generous givers, whether anybody sees it or not. Whether anybody knows about it or not. Matthew 6 seems to indicate just do it without anybody knowing. And God, who is the rewarder of all men, will reward you. He will give you your reward. Save up a treasure for yourself for the future. For the future. Man, don't live like you live in Chuck E. Cheese. Don't, get, don't, don't drink the Kool-Aid. This is not all there is. You know, the, the bells, the whistles, the, the, the sounds, the, everything we buy and get in this world is going to rot away. Can anybody in here remember the first car they bought? Do you know where it is? How about the first house you bought? Is it still standing? 
you know, everything we buy goes away, but not our treasure in heaven. It's eternal. So lay hold of, take possession of what is truly life. Don't lay hold of treasure here on earth. Grab possession of what is truly life. It's, it's up there. Live for it. Think about it. Dwell on it because we are eternal creatures. Well, let me close this in prayer. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you, you are our Father and you love us so much and you have given us an inheritance that is unfading, it's imperishable, it's uncorruptible, it's reserved, protected, maintained for us in heaven. And Father, we didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't have to work for it. We don't have to provide for it. I don't have to pay anything for it. I don't have to keep it clean. It's, it's already taken care of for me because I am your child. Father, help me set my mind on that inheritance, not on the stuff of this world. Father, we live in this world. We have to live by the world's standards. We have to spend money, make money. We have to buy goods, sell goods. It's part of the process, but we don't have to be ruled and controlled by it. May we live with open hands. May we have the attitude that we have to have money to exist, but it is not our existence. It is not who we are. It doesn't determine who we're going to be. Only you do that. So, Father, thank you for these guys. Thank you for the work that they do. Thank you for their careers. Thank you for the hours they put into providing for their families. Thank you for the homes that they have, that, that you have provided. Thank you that they work hard in their yards. They, they take care of their automobiles. They have responsibilities, and they take them seriously. But, Father, may we understand that this is all temporary. And we are eternal creatures. And we need to be thinking a whole lot more about eternity than the temporary. May we be men who are obsessed with you and the things of God. Seeking first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And you'll take care of the rest. If you've blessed us, show us how to be a blessing. If right now we're hurting financially... Help us to understand that we can trust you and you are our provider. Father, give us clear eyes so that we may see reality for what it is and truth for what it is. Thank you for your son. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for our inheritance. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who made it all possible. Amen. Guys, pick up a lesson and we'll see you this